0: you're listening to the co-main event podcast
1: and now your hosts ben folks and chad dundas That's right, you're listening to another episode of the Cobain Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas, that's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last ten years we've been meeting here every single week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, you're fresh back from the wilderness with your family. We got uh, Rafael Dos Anjos and Rafael Fiziev in the main event of the UFC fight night over the weekend to talk about. We got some stuff involving the middleweight champion to talk about. We got a big fight on ABC next weekend with Brian Ortega and Yair Rodriguez to talk about. We're going to get into all of that stuff this week on the co-main event proper. But first, man, we got to talk about the territories. The, uh, the new Shared World Professional Wrestling Fiction Project that you and I both have stories in this new short story volume just announced today, uh, putting it on in partnership with the Hybrid Shoot Publishing imprint that you may remember as the publishing company that uh, published Jonathan Snowden's book about Ken Shamrock a while ago. I got it up here on my uh, shelf. The people can see it. Those are the pale- beloved patrons watching on the video Uh, version of the podcast can see a copy of the territories up here Uh, it's a new book we think everybody's gonna like it we would like to encourage all of the co-maniacs to run out and pick it up you can go on indiegogo and search the territories if you want to find it there or you can if you follow either of us on social media we got the links up there and you can go over to the patreon page where there's a public post that details all the stuff going on with the territories it's a bit of a fun house mirror Uh, look at the world of 1980s professional wrestling with all the drugs and the booze and the body slams and everything else we think people are going to like it we think it's going to be real fun
0: yeah i mean especially of interest to the comaniacs out there because not only do you and i make up a sizable portion of this book because you wrote a damn novella uh comprises what like 130 pages or thereabouts or so in, in the actual book I wrote a longish short story that's like 30 pages or so so you know together that's just a big chunk of the overall book but fans of the Cme will also note contributors such as the big homie Dan Brooks Dan yeah, Brooks is a longtime in there. friend of the podcast and has appeared on on some of our properties in various forms and uh all-star patreon supporter Kevin Sesha, yeah, big time TV writer who was call down him. there in Vegas. I, I with like us. to
1: call him Hollywood Kevin Sesha.
0: Hollywood Kevin Sesha was down there in Vegas with us at the CME meetup. He's also got a story in there. So, man, it's if even if you are not a fan of pro wrestling, if you are a fan of the Co Man Event podcast, there's really plenty of reasons for you to pick this one up. Yeah. It's a lot of fun to work on, honestly.
1: Called The Territories. It's going to be an ongoing series. Pe- different authors and a lot of different genres and styles are going to tell stories that are set in the same world, involving some of the same characters, but different ones all the time. So run out and check that out. You can pre-order the hardcover or the ebook. Those actual products come out in August. So get over to Indiegogo, search the territories. Or find it on our socials and go check it out. We'd love it if you would support us with a pre-order. That would be fantastic. All right, tell us about camping. You were out there in the in the woods with your children. How'd that go?
0: Well, it went about as you expect when I'm out there in the woods with my children yeah. and my dog. Got to, You know, you're sharing a tent with a dog who just gets closer and closer to your face over the course of the night. And that's, you know, it's not exactly the most restful sleeping experience that you can have. But a whole lot of fun out there lounging far away from civilization and cell phone signals and all that stuff. Uh, a good time was had by all. Uh, uh, one of my daughter's friends got stung by a bee, which they to them was like they reported it to me as if they were recounting Pearl Harbor. <laughs> it, it was, you know, the, the big experience. At one point I asked, I was like, is she okay? And they were like, no, no. No, not at all. I was like, okay, well good luck to them dealing with that but uh yeah good time I saw that you and Chuck mindenhall did a show without me while I was gone uh i don't I don't feel betrayed I don't feel like uh you know like he's just took a knife and stuck it right in my back nothing like that
1: I mean just Hope every, you guys had a good time every now and then I like to remind you that you're not irreplaceable right that like mm-hmm. you know if okay. that if the if the heat finally catches up with you and you got to go do though that extended jail time that you will have to do at some point, that He'll you know get we, could, me. we could find uh we could find a new Ben, folks.
0: You know what? Now I'm gonna start doing some just Jenna Maroney shit and no showing some of these these shows showing up half hour late, forty five minutes late, demanding to know where my coffee is. let you 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 just bought yourself a one way ticket to Troubletown, my friend.
1: And you, you know just what? wait and see. I'll just do the show as is. And every now and then I'll be like, what do you got to say about that? Ben folks. And we'll just let some dead air run off. And no one will, no one will even notice. You're not there. You son of Everyone bitch. will be like, great show guys. Way to go. You really rocked it. Remember you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. Don't forget to go out and follow us on the Instagrams over at CME. If you nasty and, or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash co-main event. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines, podcast libraries. And if you think we're having fun right now, go check us out over on Patreon at patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben Folks and I, when he deigns to show up, are party rocking over there with three additional podcasts every single week. You can check out the Wednesday live chat, hashtag wild on Wednesday. We've got the Friday Power Hour podcast, which is, by the way, an additional hour of curated MMA talk every single week where we run down the dreaded but amazingly named co-main event podcast, Patreon Power Hour Power Rankings. And then on Thursday for the top tier patrons of the co-main event, the Beloved, capital G girls and guys that support us at the highest level we got the doing the damn thing podcast where we just talk chop it up man we just talk about whatever's going on in the world our lives uh try to keep it current we try to interview interesting people it's a hell of a good time people seem to like it head over there patreon.com slash co-main event join the team at any one of our three handy tiers of patronage we got music this week uh from CME listener Doug Ty, aka Spider Fighting, he describes it as this is this is the perhaps the most difficult to pronounce here description of any of the music here on the CME. <laughs> <laughs> Instrumental beat music that straddles the non-existent line between aging indie dork and backpack boom bap. Yeah. Nailed it. Nailed that one. I think it's pretty cool. If you like what you hear from Doug Tai on the show, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash spider fighting. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, it's been a big year so far for UFC fighters with top knots. Now that two Raphaels entered and only one Raphael left, can Raphael Fazeev be the next follically superior athlete to become champion? And in round number two, Israel Adesanya was impressed by his performance. And he ain't going to sit here and listen to you talk shit about it, even if you are a famous actor who may or may not portray Star-Lord inside the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So take that, Andy, from Parks and Rec. And in round number three, next week, ABC, T-City, El Pantera. Are these words getting you excited? Because it's working for me. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is brought to you by Fulton and Rourke. Ben, uh, one of the things we always say is that we would love it if the listeners would go out and support the people who support the show. And you know which advertiser has been supporting the CME longer and better and more consistently than anyone else? Fulton and Rourke the purveyors of the finest grooming products on the market. In fact, we had uh, Fulton and Rourke head honcho Kevin Keller come down there and meet up with us and all the other co-maniacs during the 10-year anniversary meetup down there in Vegas. And we were astonished to find that Kevin Keller, the owner of Fulton and Rourke, one of the owners of Fulton and Rourke, is, is a damn dead ringer for Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. We could have had Kevin Keller set up in an autograph and photo booth charging people $20 a pop to get their pictures with Wonder Boy, and nobody would have been the wiser. That's how much he looks like Stephen Thompson.
0: Yeah. And you know what? I'm just going to say it. Impeccable hygiene. Smelled great. Looked great. There's just, you like to see somebody like living out his gimmick, you know? He He's, he's not only talking the talk, he's walking the walk out there yeah. in the men's grooming space.
1: Uh, they brought a bunch of prize packs for the Co-Maniacs, a bunch of free Fulton and Rourke stuff to hand out. So thanks to Fulton and Rourke and Kevin, the Wonderman Keller, for being down there in Vegas with us. You can go check out the deodorant, the the uh, the shampoo, the body wash, all kinds of stuff over at Fulton and Rourke. The solid colognes. It's amazing. Go to FultonandRourke.com. New patrons to Fulton and Rourke can get 15% off their first purchase with the coupon code nasty. That's all one word. If you nasty, tons of cool stuff going on over at Fulton and Rourke, check it out for yourself over at FultonandRourke.com. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Caden W. over on Patreon. He writes, so I'm sitting here for UFC Fight Night in New Zealand, watching generic undercard fighter A versus generic undercard fighter B in a uniform. They're forced in with minimal rights, while absolutely everything around them is exploited by capitalism. Considering the types and saturation of ads, the delivery mode, streaming, and the general oversaturation in the MMA community of loud personalities having strange views, compared to uh, generic fighters who may not be so outlandish, it felt to me often that MMA at the moment can feel like like it is a parody or even a microcosm of American society and its vibe. Oh, Mm. shit. The vibe. What's the vibe of American society right now? You know what it is? Doomed. (laughs) <laughs> That's the general vibe. The, the general vibe of American society right now is doomed. Anyway, laughing
0: into the mouth of the volcano. That's our vibe right
1: now. Caden W says, I wonder if you ever get that feeling and if you could perhaps pontificate on what sports in the U.S. seem to best reflect the tides of society. Love you both equally. 3000. Thanks, Caden. Uh, okay. You know what? Okay. This, is, this is a good general question because it is, it, is. it is true that it's almost like a cliche to say that professional sports reflect the current events and values of the society that they take place in. In fact, one of the reasons to me that I've always kind of liked baseball, even though a lot of people find the sport itself to be boring, is that the long sort of circuitous history of baseball in many ways uh, reflects stuff that was happening in popular culture in America all the way through. You can you generally find an, an analogy, an analog in baseball for the stuff happening in in the United States of America at any one of those given times. And like uh, in some ways, the same is true of MMA and an MMA is such a new sport that We're still kind of making up the rules as we go, both in and out of the cage in terms of how we're going to officiate the sport, how we're going to treat the athletes, what the organization of the sport is going to be, how the athletes are employed and all this other stuff. And it does kind of uh, mirror some of the things that are going on in the rest of society. But I wouldn't don't know that that necessarily makes it unique. I think that this is true of a lot of professional sports. Yeah, but
0: I do think... And I have argued in the past, especially having researched a lot and written a lot about boxing history over the years, that combat sports more than most sports give you a reflection of what's going on in the culture at the time, especially for American history. And you can you can trace it and see uh, sort of history of strained race relations in america at times for uh political issues uh you know muhammad ali and his stance on the vietnam draft you you can do it all the way through you know uh, back to the jack johnson days with no problem and you and whatever was going on at, at big time boxing storyline wise was a reflection of larger stuff going on in american society so I don't disagree that you can form some totalizing ass theories about American culture and society by looking at combat sports at any given time. And I definitely think that you can look at what's has been going on and continues to go on with the UFC's sort of business model and the way it treats its fighters and what is going on in general in American capitalism and sort of Western capitalism in general, but especially American capitalism. Because all these different ways – that the company comes up with to keep more and more of the money, even though it is making just an absolute embarrassment of money to begin with, and yet cutting out the, the people who are actually the product as much as they can, keeping them at times intentionally desperate so that they will be easier to work with, so that they will say yes to whatever you offer and they can't push back on you. Like, that is all stuff we see playing out. In just the the American economy in general, the relationship between workers and owners in the American economy—we see all that stuff. The the commodification of everything, the slapping the ads everywhere, while also telling us, oh, not, "Not on you, though. Not for where it benefits you. We got to keep that clean." There's all that kind of stuff, man. Uh, I, I think that you can make a lot of good points about it, and the it's tricky though to me because. W- I think you can make those parallels when we're talking about the actual business structure, how the UFC interacts with its fighters and also with its fans, where this is more and more a business model where you have a small but committed uh, collection of fans and you just try to turn them up by their ankles and shake them until every last penny falls out of their, their pockets. And that has become more and more the model as media itself becomes more and more fragmented. Where I think it falls apart is that trying to look at individual fighters and what's going on in their own lives and their own careers, because as we talked about, MMA is one of the more diverse sports out there. Fighters come from such a variety of places and, and such a variety of backgrounds that it, it, it is way more diverse than most sports, especially like when you look around at other American sports like uh, American football or baseball or the NBA. Uh, I think it's mostly a a parallel that you see with the actual structure on the UFC's business side.
1: Yeah, but it's yeah. there.
0: If you if you if you choose to to open your eyes and see it, it is absolutely there. Which is one of the. Th- I mean, I guess it's not surprising that the same way you get sometimes surprised about how a bunch of plebs on the internet will are loving Elon Musk's bullshit. You know, they they love. That there's a, a billionaire who who just genuinely could not give a fuck about them, but in their minds somehow he does. They feel the same thing with Dana White. And it's honestly mostly the same people, probably. It's like the Venn diagram of the the Elon Musk stands and the Dana White stands is damn near a circle. So I, I guess it, it applies there too.
1: Yeah. Uh, Next question this week comes to us from Spencer, who writes, to what extent do you think the typical MMA fighters relationship with media is affected by having not experienced growing up in institutionalized sports programs like other pro athletes? And do you find that the fighters who did play college sports have a better sense of navigating the media aspect of their careers? Now, this is an interesting question also, because this is a specific thing that I have thought about many times during my own career as an MMA journalist and as a guy who came from local sports writing before I got into the MMA game. So like my job before I got here used to be that I talked to college and sometimes professional athletes. And so I know how they talk. And then you get into MMA. And for the most part, it's a fucking circus, right? It's actually a joy to be a journalist in MMA sometimes because Man, you go talk to a minor league baseball player or a college football player, and they're fucking terrified. They don't want to say fuck about shit. They're just out here being like, oh, I just want to make a play to help help the team put myself in position to, to make a play. Because they don't want anyone to notice them. They don't want the coach to take their scholarship away. They don't want the manager to get mad at them and bench them. Uh You know, putting in jeopardy their entire professional career, then you get to MMA and these motherfuckers will tell you absolutely anything at any time about how they're going to murder their opponent and set his hair on fire and piss on his grave and probably take his family and make them part of their own family and all this other stuff. Uh, And from a writing stories about it standpoint, that's amazing. And it's a little bit of a different market because, like we say all the time in combat sports, eventually the whole point of being in combat sports is to establish yourself as a personality that people will eventually pay to watch fight, right? Cause we're doing the pay-per-view still. So you got to put yourself out there in a way to uh to make yourself a noticeable noticeable and recognizable figure that at some point people will want to pay to watch fight. And so it behooves you to be a little bit more outspoken to not there is no team really except for, you know, your your fight camps and stuff. There's no team for you to be a quote-unquote distraction from like you would be in mainstream sports. And so you get this vastly different attitude among a lot of MMA fighters. Now I will say the guys that I have interviewed who come from mainstream collegiate sports backgrounds, sometimes they do do it a little bit different. And honestly, you want to know the first guy that I met noticed this about the first time that I interviewed him, it was John Jones. I interviewed John Jones before he fought Matt Hamill. And my experience interviewing him was tremendous. I was like, Oh, this guy is amazing. Like he really gets it. You could tell that he had spent some time, in numerous college wrestling programs where they taught him how to talk to the media. And I was like, Oh, this guy's great. Like he's going to go far. People are going to love it. And then the, the thing that happened immediately, everyone was like, this motherfucker is fake. I hate him with his platitudes. Did those people kind of turn out to be right, though? I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely, they did. (laughs) But it was just like, it surprised me because here I had this guy, John Jones, that I thought was very media savvy and how he talked to me when I first interviewed him. And then people just hated it because people were used to this, like, much rawer, less filtered kind of shoot from the hip. In sometimes stream of consciousness sort of style that uh, MMA fighters talk in. And so like there is in some cases differences when you interview guys that come from this background. Phil Davis is another guy who comes to mind who's like you interview Phil Davis and you're sort of like, oh, this guy gets it. Like he knows how to talk Michael to Chandler. Man. Michael Chandler is another guy. And Michael Chandler, by the way, has also done a tremendous job transitioning to that, to the MMA space and being like, every time you put a goddamn mic in Michael Chandler's face, he's thought about it. He's got something to say. He knows how he's going to say it. He knows who he's going to call out. And then he's basically going to do the Ric Flair woo at the end and say, (laughs) Oh, what a rush. Like the fucking Legion of doom and storm out of there. He's terrific. He's also gotten better at it over time. Just by experience of being in the MMA
0: space. I, I think that there's something to this question that some of it is if you have been through a college sports program and gotten some media training through that, that it gives you some baseline to go off of when you get an MMA. But I also think that there's so many different things at work, like you said, that fighters have to sell themselves and players in more traditional stick-and-ball kind of sports, they don't need to. They Them sticking around on the roster, them finding a spot on the team and keeping a job has to do with whether they are helpful to the team way more than it has to do with what the fans think of them, Do the fans like them personally, that kind of stuff. Are they, are they over with fans? That's just not a concern if you're a baseball player. You can shut up, be a horrible interview, not give anything to anybody, but if you go out there and you're hitting dingers every night, you're you're hitting 380, they're gonna keep you around, cause they need you. That's what the 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 baseball manager is gonna be judged by whether the team is winning games. the 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 owner's gonna make more money. The GM is gonna keep his job. That's what they are all basing their stuff off of. And it's a just a very different metric when it comes to sports like this, because it's a damn traveling carnival. You gotta set up the tent in a new city and make the sales pitch all over every time. And so you need people that you can sell. And so you need those people to help you sell it. And that just I think that influences what we see in their relationship to the media far more than anything else that and that you just have a less structured media environment in a lot of ways, because, you know, you can see a lot of times you watch like college basketball or something where it's like that coach will have a long and sometimes complicated relationship with some of these people who have been on this beat for years. But he's got to show up and talk to them. Gotta show up and talk to him at the post fight or the post game press conference. They know what buttons to push on him, he knows what buttons to push back. And there's a, a long, ongoing sort of relationship. They're not banning anybody because they get mad at them, shit like that. You know, not the coach is not being like, hey, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not going to press conference this time. Have one of the uh, assistant coaches go in there. They, that shit just doesn't work the same in other sports. And so, like, a different media environment also fosters different relationships between the people.
1: Yeah. And also in mixed martial arts, you and the other person ultimately are going to get inside a steel cage and fight each other, which occasionally though we are all professionals here does have a tendency of stoking some emotion. Yeah. Next question yeah. this week comes to us from Wu Lei Fook. Is that a Conor McGregor reference? Is this a uh, is this a name meant to spoof how Conor McGregor would say holy fook?
0: I mean it's possible but it's also possible you're overthinking it.
1: God, when am I not overthinking it? Here's the question. How bad can't you wait? for Alex Piera to take it to Israel Adesanya. Seriously, I'm curious to hear your early prediction about one, can they make it Izzy's next title defense and two, how likely would there be an upset? Thank you and please discuss. Uh, We talked about this quite a bit last week, but we can revisit it briefly here. It does seem like Alex Piera is showing up at exactly the right time in the career of Israel Adesanya when Adesanya frankly needs a nemesis of some kind, somebody who is going to shake things up a little bit and maybe... Uh, be dangerous enough and we all know Alex Piera has the previous kickboxing wins over Israel Adesanya maybe be dangerous enough that Adesanya can't fight him in the same style with which he fought Jared Cannonier, etc at UFC 276 now some of this we will get in coming up in round number two where we're going to talk about uh, Adesanya's response to some of this criticism that has been leveled at him in the wake of the Cannoneer fight uh, but I think it's it's a done deal that Alex Pierre is the next title challenger. Adesanya is talking about that in the media now too, saying they've got a date. Yeah. And they're they're starting to get ready for that. I think it'd be to steal a phrase from our guy Luke Thomas, promotional malpractice if you didn't do Alex Pierre as the next uh title challenge what else to, would you do what yeah, else would you even do to israel adesanya like you got a hot storyline you got a guy who just had his big moment when he knocked out sean strickland at ufc 276 you got adesanya who is now starting to draw some people's ire for being quote unquote boring seems like he's just coasting out there not getting the ferrari out of second gear and still beating jared cannonier and here you got this guy that has this history with him that has this storyline that might be able to push him out of his comfort zone and draw a little bit more out of him. So it's an absolutely perfect fight at a perfect time. I hope to God they make it and that there's no injuries or anything else. And this thing comes off on time, because I think it would be at this point, the most hotly anticipated matchup you could make at 185 pounds, considering the current lay of the land.
0: Yeah. And you know what it is? kind of exactly the fight you need right now for where Israel Adesanya is because you had a couple of these fights where it seems like fans are going, I suspect this guy could do more in there. He doesn't want to. He is playing it safe while also being far enough ahead of these guys and having frankly enough of a size advantage over some of these guys that he can stay out at a comfortable range, pick them apart, and they really can't do shit about it unless they want to dive in there and risk getting knocked out the way Robert Whitaker did in his first fight with Israel Adesanya. And frankly Robert Whitaker's come closer than anybody at middleweight in the rematch with, with Adesanya but then you see him go up against another guy who's basically the same dimensions in, in Jared Cannonier, and he's back to doing that stuff when he's Just saying, hey, I'm comfortable out here. Let's see how bad you want to try to make something happen. And when the dude stands to punch a hole in your face, if you mess up, people get a little gun shy about that. Then you put him up against this other guy who is also a big dude for the weight class. Big, tall guy uh, who also has a great stand-up striking pedigree and can match him there. And now it's a different fight. It feels like a, a guy who can at least challenge him to do something else. I don't know if he beats him. Uh, I think that it, you you can't necessarily uh, discount the fact that one of them has a lot more experience in MMA at this point, even if it doesn't seem like that has necessarily built up a ton of like aggressive offensive wrestling uh, chops for Israel Adesanya that he could use here. But still, he does have more experience in this world than Alex Pereira does. But I it at least feels like what we used to say about... Uh, Anderson Silva, at a certain point, like when Chael Sonnen came up just poking his finger in his chest and saying, I'm coming right after you, we were going, okay, at least here's somebody who, even if he goes in there and gets stomped, is going to make him do something more than what he's been doing. That is the promise in a different way that Alex Pierre brings to this fight. And you're right. I think that it's it's absolutely the, the right time and the time when they need it most.
1: Yeah. I have some more questions, comments, and concerns on this topic, but I'm going to save them for round two because I know we're going to be talking about Adesanya there and uh, some of the things he said in the wake of this 270 or 276 win over uh, Jared Cannonier. So I'm going to hold off on that for the time being. Uh, the next question this week comes to us from Dweeb, who writes, okay. The newly bald Jiri Prohaska has made a pretty awkward video on IG recently, where he said he wants a rematch with Glover for his first title defense so he can show us all why he's the champion. Uh, he knows he is the champion, right? Like, the reason he's the champion is that he beat Glover in their last fight. I guess my question is, is this the right move for the new light heavyweight king? Did you see this video, ben? Yeah. Uh, Yuri Prohaska standing out there on the balcony, on the veranda. Uh, saying he wants to fight Glover Tashira again for his next fight Because he feels like he had a bad performance He still won, he's still the champ Feels like he had a bad performance He wants to go out there against Glover again uh, Do it more emphatically, I guess And in his own words, show us why he's the champion Is this what you would want for the new champ, the new titleist The new king at one uh, 205, Yuri Prohaska in his first title defense?
0: Well, it's got to be one of two things, right? Like either we're doing a rematch with Glover or we're pivoting to, uh, you know, uh, Eastern European stadium show with Jan Blahovic. Yeah, I I understand his reasoning here. And I think there's something to it. I can understand how he would look at that fight and be like, "Mm, I did fuck up a lot in that fight. I mean, Glover did too the the ways in which they both fucked up in that fight are kind of what made it so awesome and incredible to watch because he kept thinking it was going to be over when one guy made a mistake and then the other guy would make a mistake and back and forth like that. And he was on his way to losing on the scorecards until he snatched up an improbable choke against the guy who was way more likely on paper to choke him. And so I could see how he'd be like, okay, I feel like I need to go in there, do a better job of it and really dominate that guy to prove it to you guys. Plus... You win a fight like that, you don't want to be seen as the guy who was like, okay, I beat that dude uh, who almost had me knocked out there, and now I never want to fight him again. We've seen those people, and they take a lot of shit from fans. You know, when you you feel like, if fans feel like you got away with one, and then you're trying to avoid running it back, people will pounce on that too. So I can understand his thinking there, and it's not as if the fight. Between him and Jan Blachowicz, feels like, well, goddammit, it, that's the one that has to happen. We must see it, or our lives will not be complete. You're not there yet. I feel like you could you could get there with you know enough time to build to it. And in the meantime, I could absolutely see why Yuri would say, "Give me that fight again." It was like already uh, a high in the running for fight of the year in 2022. It's going to take a hell whole hell of a lot to beat that one. One of the greatest light heavyweight title fights we've seen in the UFC, if not the greatest. So, saying let's go ahead and do that again. That does have some points in its favor.
1: Yeah, I'm down to run it back, I suppose. And mostly because it doesn't seem like there's a ton of other pressing business in the light heavyweight division that Prohaska absolutely must take care of. I do think it would be cool to try to do an Eastern European show in a big stadium with him and, and Yanni Blackjacks. But at the same time, we don't even know, we don't have really any sense of whether or not that would be in the UFC's plans. Right. Because that hasn't really been their MO of late with their kind of new business model. Like, I don't even know if that was a thing that they would take the time and pay the money to go over there and do if they wanted to, I feel like it would be super cool. Uh, if they're not going to do that, or if that's on hold for whatever reason, uh, I'm totally fine with a Glover Yuri rematch. Uh, and maybe we get into another fun one, man. Maybe we get ourselves into the surprise trilogy. We never knew 205 pounds needed between these two guys, but we just have to uh, wait and see. I, I am just, and, and maybe this speaks more to, uh, you know, Yuri Prohaska's kind of unique mindset, which we found out more about with that feature story by Mark Ramondi before uh, he actually won the title. Maybe this speaks more to Prohaska's mindset than, than anything else is that he feels like he had a bad performance. He's in search of, Uh, more perfection a better performance and he wants to go out and do it again against glover but i'm a little surprised just for all the reasons you just mentioned that this guy wants to immediately fight the former champ again in a rematch normally we see people skate out of these matches and be like peace uh smell you later i'm on i'm on to the next but yuri is the one talking about circling back here which is interesting yeah all I think right. it's
0: because he really believes what he's talking
1: about. Yeah, I agree. That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question or comment or concern that you would like to air to the Co Main Event podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, CoMainEvent.com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us right now. We're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, Raphael Faziv rolls in there and picks up a fifth round KO victory over Rafael Dos Anjos in the lightweight main event of this UFC fight night event down there at the Apex in Las Vegas. They actually made a kind of a cool poster for this. I don't know if you've seen it where they both kind of look like vampires. Uh, you should check it out if you haven't seen it, because in the world of the stock and standard UFC poster. This one actually has a little bit of flair to it. I like okay. that. This fight is just yet another example, Ben, not only of the competition in the lightweight division, but also just that on any random Saturday night in July, the UFC can pull the trigger on a fight like Rafael Fiziev and Rafael dos Anjos, which would be a big fight for any other organization. And not trying to say it wasn't a big fight for the UFC, but this is just mid-July, man. Week after a pay-per-view. Shrug, we're going to roll out Fazeev versus Dos Anjos. Just a couple of tough-as-hell dudes out there putting a scrap on in an entertaining and technical MMA fight. And that's what the UFC can do, man. Now, with their this uh, schedule and the roster, pretty much every week they can roll out some shit like this. And uh, I guess we should, in some ways, despite the fact that it feels like a grind sometimes, we should be like thankful that we live in this world where, yeah, man, just uh, put your streaming service on, put your ESPN Plus on on Saturday night, and we got Rafael Fiziev fighting Rafael Dos Anjos. That's pretty cool. Uh, this was a good fight. And I don't know where you want to start with it, but I'll just say this: of all of the things that Rafael Fazeev brings to the table, and obviously some of them are obvious—the technical striking, the power, the uh, uh, you know the ability to just kind of take his opponent apart piece by piece, and then uncork these power shots like he did to Dos Anjos in the last round here. You know, with all of that stuff considered, I felt like the most. Uh, impressive thing he did out there in this fight was the takedown defense because yeah. he kind of, aside from that fourth round, which we'll let's talk about that in detail a little bit coming up here. But the fourth round where Dos Anjos was actually able to have some success. Uh, aside from that, Rafael Fiziev had closed that door, man. You were not getting that guy down. And that's kind of for a lot of lightweights in the division. That's going to be your only hope out there against Rafael Fazeev. So it's impressive that he was able to stave off Dos Anjos with those takedown attempts as much as he was able to throughout you know a fight that turned out to be 20-plus minutes long. Yeah,
0: especially because you could tell that that was a cornerstone of RDA's plan. Yeah,
1: he tried them all. He tried every takedown, man. Double leg, single leg, push him up against the fence, get his back, get yeah. his legs out from under him, did everything you could do. Barely got him down at all. Well,
0: and you could tell from... And granted, we're, we're hearing it through an interpreter, but hearing what is being said in his corner and, and very early on in the fight, like in the, the first and in the, in the break between round one and two, his corner is already telling him, all right, hey, man, when we're taking him up against the fence, you can see he's he's got 20 percent less power than he does. You know, like we're wearing him down, basically, which seemed to be the plan, like banking on the guy not having the cardio that you do to go five rounds you can wear him out in the clinches you'll sap some of his his explosive power that way he'll become less dangerous and then you can start to take over later in the fight and it just wasn't really happening I mean, you know he was getting he was slowing down a little bit he was clearly getting tired but he also uh, somebody made a a clip of this to show on Twitter where he, he's the, that fight ending sequence that he lands, is based off of something that he set up in like round one where he throws that flying knee and then follows it with, you know, a a right hand and then the left behind it. And and it stings Javier Dos Anjos. But then he follows up, it starts the fifth round. Basically we're in the, we're still in the first 30 seconds of it. He fakes the flying knee, gets Javier Dos Anjos to bite on it and then lands the right hand and left hook. And it's like, boom, now he's down. And, that's that's a pretty savvy that's not a guy just going out there and winging stuff yeah. and when he can defend against your takedowns and stop you clinching him against the fence as well as that then so much of the fight ends up exactly where it seems rda doesn't want to have it which is us kicking each other in the middle of the cage yeah. and you don't really want to get into that kind of thing with javier fazee man he's out there he, he just it feels like every time he's kicking you he is just chopping away at a piece of you it's, he's not just throwing stuff out there to tell and see if you're still there. And that's that's a tough guy to deal with, man, because if he, when you see him between one fight to the next, is shutting down more of these avenues that people might look to pursue to, to beat him, what are you left with at a certain point? Other than just, like, more skillful execution.
1: Yeah. You know uh, how you know Rafael Fiziev throws hard is that in the breaks between rounds, another thing that they said to Dos Anjos was, don't try to block the kicks, just yeah. get out of the way of the kicks because well, he's splitting open your
0: arm yeah. when, when you're blocking it you're yeah. blocking it and you're still taking a ton of damage on whatever blocking surface you use
1: see this is what separates me from professional MMA fighters because if I'm RDA in that moment where that's what my coach tells me between rounds that's when I look at him and I say oh really just get out of range just get out of the way of the kicks okay yeah I guess <laughs> I'll do that jerk Beep. then we're back out we're back out to the fight again. So that's <laughs> you don't one even have the- time
0: for a coach Coach, what do you got at that point? You, yeah. you
1: spent all your time talking back. Yeah. Uh, Rafael Fazeev uh, is just 29 years old at this point, And he has won six fights in a row now in uh, the UFC lightweight division. The last geez, he's been fighting tough guys this whole run. Really? Uh, the last five of them, four of them are Honato Moicano, Bobby green, Brad Riddell, and now RDA. So that is an impressive run. For Fazeev, he came into this fight ranked number 10 in the lightweight division. Rafael Dos Anjos was ranked number seven. I know we don't have a champion there. Charles Oliveira missed weight and, and was stripped of the title. Eh. Dubronx is still sort of your de facto champion there at He's a He's the champ. Come at, on, at one hundred and fifty-five pounds. But just like the emergence now of a guy like Faziv, who I assume when the new rankings come out will have shot up into the top ten after this win over RDA. If you were the champ in this division. You would be looking around thinking, okay, not only do I have the usual suspects to contend with, not only do I have Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler, uh, RDA, Tony Ferguson, these tough guys that are in this division, not only do I have those guys, the usual suspects, the standbys, uh, but now... Obviously, you got Islam Mahachev, who's who's right there knocking on the door of a title shot. You got Benil Dariush, who has been in the mix for a while, uh, but is sort of, you know, sneaking up on that level. But you got these dudes, you just basically got a whole uh, uh, crowd of dudes, like Raphael Fazeev, like Armand Sarukian, like Mateush Gamrot, who we just watched those two guys fight, like Jalen Turner, who also just went out and put a hurtin' on Brad Riddell at UFC 276. It's just like, Everywhere you look, there's a tough dude coming for you and you're never going to be in the position that a middleweight, light heavyweight, sometimes welterweight champion would be in where we look around and we're like, okay, this guy's cleaned out the division. You're never going to get there, man, because there's always going to be a Raphael Fazive coming up there being like, oh, by the way, for years, I was the striking coach of professional MMA fighters, and now I am a professional MMA fighter and we're gonna fight for the title. It's just a stupid, crazy division in terms of the competition. And I know we say that a lot, but man, it's just this is just a fucking shark tank all the way from, it is. from top to bottom.
0: And also one of the things that's tough about it is if you are the champ or you're somebody like Charles Oliveira, kind of the de facto champ, I still say he's the champ, and you're looking around, and you're like, okay there's nothing but tough ass fights and it's just the difference between the tough ass fights that really make you some money and the tough ass fights that don't make you that much money and you're you're praying that you get one of the the former rather than one of the latter you know because there's tons of guys out there who would give you a real real struggle really push you in a in a title fight in a five round fight and just wouldn't sell more than you know basic tier level Number of UFC pay-per-views, which if you're relying on getting the cut of the pay-per-view is the thing that really fills up your pockets and makes your time as champ really worth it. You know, that's hard-ass work for not a huge reward. That's, I mean, when you people give Charles Oliveira shit for trying to talk about a, like a Conor McGregor fight or something, man, wouldn't you rather... Beat Conor McGregor's ass when he's fresh off a yacht and hasn't really been training that hard? Or would you rather go out there against Rafael Fazeev? Yeah. You're going to take done. off his his fuzzy hat and then just kick kick you until your arms bleed. Yeah. Come on, man.
1: Yeah, no, I'll take the guy who, uh, who just recently horrifically broke his leg in his most recent yeah. fight. That's the guy I would take. Uh, kind of sad. For Rafael Dos Anjos, not that he is uh, shot or done by any stretch of the imagination, and he strikes you as one of these guys who can kind of hang around and have good, entertaining, bankable fights for the UFC as long as he wants to do that. But sad just in the sense of, like we talked about before, he tried so damn hard. To get Rafael Faziv down and never really could do it until the fourth round. And then it did start to look like maybe Rafael Faziv was a little bit fatigued and like maybe Dos Anjos was going to start having some success and he got a takedown and like that was arguably his best round and he probably won it. And then immediately, just right fucking away in the fifth round, 18 seconds, I believe, into the fifth round, yeah. Faziv comes out and just... Knocks him out, like knocked him out so swiftly that from a you know the first angle it looked like maybe an early stoppage, and then you see the reverse angle, and you're like, oh no, 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 he clocked him pretty hard. That's just ah, that's got to be deflating for for Dos to be like, as soon as you think maybe the fight has taken a turn that would benefit you, oh no, right away you are knocked out.
0: Yeah, and also that. You're 37 in a division where people don't tend to hang on for quite as long. 37 as a heavyweight, just getting started. 37 as a lightweight, that's tough, man. That's tough. Especially when you're a former champ and still have a name and you're considered a fight night headliner quality of uh, opponent. They're going to give you some tough ass fights. Yeah. And it's up to you whether you can hold on to them. You know, and it only gets tougher.
1: Yeah, kind of rough for RDA. Three and five in his last eight, getting up there in years as you mentioned. But still a guy who I think can hang around in this division and 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 do some good things. It will be fun to watch Raphael Fazive progress through this division and like all those guys that I listed off uh, a few minutes ago. And it's just fun fights everywhere, man. You can you can r- randomly match two guys up on that list, and it's probably a hell of a fight. So yeah. excited about that. Um, let's go ahead and do. Are you fucking kidding me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Uh, Ben, you will recall that over the last several weeks, I've been saying if there is a person in the world who is almost universally regarded as bad, like a person who has who has done some things that we find distasteful. It is almost a certainty that an MMA fight fighter will select that person out and be like, "Oh, this is my guy right here. Yeah. This is my this reputed member of the mafia is my best friend, right?" Or like, "Oh, Vince McMahon just got accused of several sexual misconduct happenings and stories. It's all in the news. There he is. He's at the UFC. Check this out. Like it happens every every week. This week, no exception. Your guy, Chase Sherman." Goes out there at this UFC fight night event. Gets himself a nice win over Jared Jared, uh, Vanderoff. Third round TKO heavyweight fight on the main card. Gets the win. Nice for Chase Sherman. Uh, His first win in five tries in the UFC. Next thing you know, he's out partying in Vegas. Posting pictures on his Instagram with OJ Simpson. Man, folks, <laughs> Chase Sherman and O.J. Simpson standing next to each other, po- giving the f- pointing at each other, like, "Hey, look at this guy!s Here I am with this cool guy." You know what the what the caption says, right? I do not. Do you know what the caption says? I hope this isn't photoshopped. I hope. Please I found- tell me.
0: Please tell me the caption is just something about him being a huge fan of the Naked Gun movies. <laughs>
1: Chase Sherman UFC. It just says in all caps, "Killers." Oh man, oh oh man, Are you fucking kidding me We've gotta stop doing this, guys. We gotta stop finding the worst people in the world and being down with them. It doesn't seem like it would be that hard to just <laughs> not do this, man, just not do this, but we do it every single week. you fucking kidding me? You know, I already think it's kind of the weird thing
0: how the selfie became the the modern day version of the autograph. You see a celebrity, that's the first thing everybody thinks is they want to do a selfie with him. You find me the people that see OJ out and their first thought is, let me get a selfie with fucking OJ Simpson. You've you found me some people that I don't want to be friends with, I think. Unless it was OJ's idea to take the picture. Maybe he's a big Chase Sherman vanilla gorilla fan. Is that possible?
1: I don't know. So who's I don't care whose idea it was.
0: <laughs> I'm so- I, I almost want it to be OJ's because I feel. That would be just a funnier story if OJ is like, oh, shit, Chase Sherman,
1: mid-level UFC heavyweight, always on the verge of getting cut. Can I get a pick real quick, bro? Yeah, and even if it is OJ's idea, you still got to be like, you know what? I'm going to say no, and I think you understand why.
0: (laughs) Or maybe I'll do it, but I'm not going to post it on my Instagram. You got to be following OJ if you want to see this picture. Uh, Okay, well. Chad, my are-you-fucking-kidding-me is of a different nature, but also involves a selfie with a UFC fighter. My man John Morgan is out there after, you know, this is Sunday. He posts this Sunday afternoon, day after the fight nights. Uh, He just went out with his family to see Top Gun, see the new Top Gun movie, you know, uh, like you do on a Sunday afternoon. Guess who he runs into out there?
1: Oh, God, which uh, noted murderer did he run into (laughs) Uh, you know, didn't they just let, uh, Mark David Chapman out? He runs into Jamie Malarkey. Fresh off a decision win,
0: split decision win, in his fight of the night with Michael Johnson. I mean, this was back and forth. These guys just beating the shit out of each other. Here's what John Morgan wrote about Went to see Top Gun with a family. Look who I run into after. At Jamie Malarkey, just came from hospital, but doing fine. Now he hops an airplane tonight to fly back to Australia. Crazy life of a fighter. Hell of a scrap last night. Thank you, Jamie. And uh, at Menace155, Michael Johnson's Twitter. He's in here, and he's in all his UFC kit. It looked like... When you say he just came back from the hospital, it looks like he hasn't had a moment to do anything except get in a fucking brutal fist fight, go to the hospital just to make sure that he didn't break anything serious, go see Top Gun, then get on a plane home to Australia like a fucking 12-hour flight or something. Hell of a life indeed, man. Are you fucking kidding me? And... I love that he's walking around in the UFC gear. Got the UFC Venom shirt. Got the UFC shorts on. Just, like, remember when we talked about Glover, you know, being the champion, showing up to fight week, and just wearing the free gear that they give you when you check in, like a dad on a cruise ship. Just wearing the shirt of the cruise ship. Jamie Muller, is just like, well, okay. Uh, checked out of the hospital. Got a few hours to kill before I got to get on a plane.
1: I did want to see that new Top Gun movie. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me! Hell of a life. Probably trying to stay up so he can sleep on the plane. He doesn't want his sleep cycle interrupted.
0: That's see, that's experience right there. That's what that is. You fucking kidding me!
1: You fucking kidding me, man! I really thought it was going to be John Hinckley (laughs) or somebody. You know, Bernie Madoff is he out? Is he walking around? Because that sounds like somebody an MMA personality would take a picture with in any who case bernie madoff is. that's you don't know who bernie oh man
0: Oof. no they don't know i oh. know who bernie madoff is okay good
1: god i got real worried there for a second okay that's gonna do it for round number this is only round one uh we'll be right back with round number two
0: Jed, Israel Adesanya has heard the criticism of his recent title defending performance against Jared Kananier at UFC 276. And he is not just going to shut up and take it. He had some words back. Uh, He had some words back for a range of people. Because for one thing, you had uh, Chris Pratt on the post-fight broadcast saying that you know he didn't think it was that exciting of a performance, especially after all the stuff that Israel Adesanya talked to come out there. Kind of a ho-hum decision victory. So he's got some words there. Got, got an apology out of Chris Pratt at the end of the day. Also had some shit to say to the MMA media at the post-fight press conference. This I want to read to you. This is Israel Adesanya toward the end of his comments. Quote, just something I want to say. You guys have a job to do. And I'm not criticizing you guys in particular. I kind of am. But just remember this. I can do your job. You could never do my job. Just remember that. I could do your job. Trust me. I appreciate you guys for what you do, but not just for me, but for other fighters. Be mindful of your words. Be mindful of the way you clickbait. That shit is weak, because I know how YouTube works now, and I know how these interviews work. I'm glad I have my own network, but just be mindful, because I can do your job, and you can't do mine. Just remember that. Now, that seems like a man who is sort of feeling the the hot glare of the spotlight a little bit, especially after some fights where people feel like maybe they didn't get what they're expecting or didn't get what they're hoping for uh, entertainment wise and sort of taking it out on the media. I mean, I'm I'm not going to sit here and act like the MMA media is the White House press corps or that it is even one of the harder sports media jobs. But I do think that there is something a little bit unaware or tone deaf in saying, hey, I have a YouTube channel that somebody else runs, that I they have said that somebody else runs for me. And uh, people come to it because of who you are as a fighter. And therefore, I could be a media member. I, I know it. All. I could I could jump in there and do that shit and you guys couldn't be a pro fighter therefore don't say anything about me.
1: Yeah. Uh could could be in the media because he's already famous for doing something else. I think is right the, uh, is the implication there. Also, he probably wouldn't he would probably find out it was harder than he thought. I'm um, just saying. Uh look, I talked when I talked to Chuck on Friday during the live chat, he brought up that you know, so you pay money for this you 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 watch the events because of that relationship. You're free to criticize. You're free to say, hey, this didn't live up to my expectations. I didn't uh, enjoy it particularly. I didn't, you know, I don't feel great about the 70 bucks that I spent on it. That's, that's your right as a consumer. And I think that that's, that's fine. Uh, I shouldn't be surprised, but I guess I am. This is what I was going to say earlier during listener mail. I'm a little bit surprised at the vitriol that apparently is coming Israel Sonia's way. Uh, just because he is winning these fights and he is doing it in fairly dominant fashion. I know that he's not stopping everybody. He doesn't have like a uh, an Anderson Silva-esque stoppage streak, but Anderson Silva was also a guy who got criticized for being quote-unquote mm-hmm. boring at times, mm-hmm. by the way. Uh, and I think that like, you know, he makes some good points in this, this interview, or I, just, I guess it's him on his YouTube channel, uh, where he kind of talks about, uh, will everyone is confident going into a fight. Everyone says they're basically going to kill their opponent. He's like, look at what Max Holloway said leading up to his fight with Alexander Volkanovsky where Max Holloway was basically like, I'm so much better than this guy. I'll be surprised if it makes it to the third round. And yeah, and it Adesanya is basically saying nobody's criticizing Max Holloway for saying that. And then he goes out and like gets beat in fairly dominant fashion. Like, why are you criticizing me for the stuff I said about Jared Cannonier? Like, I went out there and tried my best. I was looking for the openings. I don't feel like he said he watched the fight back again. And even though at the time he said he felt like he had an off night after he watched it a second time, he was like, I don't feel like my performance was as bad as maybe I first thought. I didn't really take my foot off the gas. I was out there trying to force openings. I just didn't get them. I just didn't see them. And it would have been stupid for me to, you know, go balls to the wall, try to put myself in a bad position to try to put Jared Cannonier away because he's a dangerous guy. And I was trying to finish him. I just didn't get the the, the chances that I thought I was going to get. And sometimes that happens. So like in some ways, I kind of see both sides of the coin here. I see that people are, you know, paying 70 bucks for this. That doesn't live up to their expectations in terms of excitement. They're kind of upset as consumers. But I also see Israel Adesanya's side of it, man. That like he's having a fight. He's in a fist fight with Jared Cannonier which would lead to instant death for 99.9% of the population. But for, for Israel and Asanya, he beats him like fairly effortlessly. And so like, I can see his position of being like, uh, look man, like I, I beat him as handily as I could. And I tried to finish him. I tried to look for those openings and they just didn't come for me. Like I, I, think that that's like kind of understandable from a fighter's perspective
0: yeah and like we talked about in the immediate aftermath show uh to reflecting on ufc 276 if he had gone out there and taken more chances than he needed to and gotten himself knocked out it's not like people would be saying hey we appreciate the entertainment that you delivered to us Yeah. yeah. we appreciate you you taking those risks and not making it a boring fight uh And we hope to see you get a rematch. Like, that's not going to happen. And he knows that. And so you can't criticize him without also being aware of that. And also that Jared Kennedy has to come in for some of that criticism. Because he didn't realize, like, hey, I'm losing and I need to take some risks even if it opens me up. He just kept on staying in the same position that he was in. And it is, though, a little bit surprising to me sometimes when I guess that... Israel Adesanya feels, for one thing, like he wants to target the media uh, for that. Because when you, like we've said before, if you compare what the media dedicated to covering a sport says about athletes, the MMA media is not particularly hard on MMA fighters. No. It, it, especially you compare it to what people are saying about NFL players and coaches on Monday morning sports talk radio. Good God. Good God. It's a it's a completely different world. Uh, it's it's actually one of the kinder to the athletes media environments. Now, what they hear from fans might be a different story because there are going to be some assholes on Twitter telling you you suck, throwing in some racist invectives, things like that. And I could see how maybe. Sometimes that stuff gets all muddled together in the fighters' minds. If you're talking about clickbait, well, then you're just talking about a media environment. Like, how do websites make money these days? How do how do they stay solvent? And what do they have to do in order to like pay for their costs and turn a profit? That's what that is. That's not people saying like, mm, "I could do a good job here, but it would be f- more fun to just do it shitty." Like I just, I would just like that more. Like, no, that's not what it is. It's because that's how the the economic model works. And when you sit there and you are trying to act like you understand all this stuff and you could do it if you want to, but you've never done it, then you're kind of being exactly the dude who you were mad at. You were mad at these people who could never do what you do. uh, And and then they don't really understand the intricacies of it. It's because you got, you set up a YouTube page. That somebody else runs and that people come to because you are famous for doing the different thing does not mean you understand all that stuff. You are being the exact type of dude you're complaining about. And so like that seems to me like a little bit of the confusion that he has in it. It, But it also is a little bit surprising to me that that I guess that he is feeling the force of that criticism as much. Because one of the things that I think that we've all recognized and liked about uh, Israel Adesanya at this point is that he seems very much his own man. He seems like he, like unlike some people like John Jones and some other people, he doesn't seem like he has the antenna up, like the rabbit ears for criticism quite the same way. Maybe it just gets to a point where he feels like, I I was expecting a little more appreciation when I got to be the UFC middleweight champ and held it down for a while.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you can understand why he wants to fire back at the criticism. Can you imagine how frustrating that would be to like go through this process, be the middleweight champion, have all these fight camps and like, try as hard as you can to to do amazing stuff and then, like, kind of get criticized for it. I understand why he would be a little bit uh, up, upset about that. But I also think, you know, even if he doesn't seem like he's he's – quite as sensitive to criticism as some of these other guys that we have seen come along. He all, he is obviously a guy who keeps his ear pretty close to the ground. And we have talked about that in a positive way at times before that he seems to understand what fans want and how the MMA community works and various things that he can do to, to uh, market himself toward those people. Uh, And in some ways, as we have said before, he seems like he is a fan of the sport himself. And so he kind of understands where MMA lives and, and how it, communicates. And that's always been a positive up to this point. But I think this is just like the other side of the coin, right? Like he does, he is involved in the discourse. And when the discourse turns against Israel Adesanya, maybe he's not uh, you know, as comfortable with that as some when the discourse is is some other stuff, which I think, again, is perfectly understandable. And like, I'm just kind of surprised if people are that mad at Israel Adesanya. And I think he makes another good point in in the same statement where he says, look at Anderson Silva and George St. Pierre, like people criticized them constantly. Now that they're gone, people are like, oh, George St. Pierre, hands down, greatest MMA fighter of all time. So I think like if he has this perspective on it that, you know, you might take the criticism in the short term, but in the long term, like maybe legacy is more important, maybe stringing together all these uh, middleweight title defenses is more important. Like, I think that's probably the right perspective to have on it. And again, like we said at the beginning of the show, Alex Piero, man, coming along at maybe exactly the right time to give Israel Adesanya the exact opponent that he needs uh, to potentially solve some of these problems, if that's what you think they are.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that is uh, the parallel to Anderson Silva there really works because that is the thing where we we got to a fever pitch of criticism of feeling like he's good enough to make it boring when he wants to and you need somebody who will force him to do something else. Well, here you go. And uh here's one hell of a rival for him to get to, to test himself against. And uh I think if you play that right and everybody does their jobs on both sides of the fight and the promoter, you could make that into an absolutely huge fight
1: and you should. I agree. All right, that is going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, we have talked a lot in the past about how These MMA events on network television have not felt like as big a deal as we thought that they would feel like during the formative years of the sport when crossing over to the mainstream and getting this kind of exposure was the ultimate dream. Now, at this point, you've got the UFC's third outing on ABC coming up on Saturday. Uh, This one going down at the UBS Arena in Elmont, New York. And again, it doesn't feel like this is a game changer for the sport in the same way that I think. You know, maybe some people thought it would be having this network television exposure. Uh, But this is, I think, uh, an interesting and fun fight with Brian Ortega and Yair Rodriguez. Both guys come in on the heels of losses, uh, but they both still feel relevant in the featherweight division. Perhaps they both still feel a little bit like Enigmas in the featherweight division. Like we're not totally sure uh, where the ceiling is for either of these guys or how long they'll stick around or anything like that. But, you know, just when I think of a matchup of styles between... Uh, T-City, and El Pantera. I'm excited for it, man. I'm excited to watch this one go down.
0: Yeah, it does seem like one of those fights where it's hard to envision a way it goes down that is not fun as all hell to watch. Yeah. You know? Like, uh, this is sort of a thing at the end, a reward for staying up on Saturday night. And you're right, though, that you, you would think about this in the old days where you'd be like, man, if you could just get some of these awesome-ass fights on something like ABC get people to sit there and watch them? Uh, how do you not become a fan of the sport when you see some, what guys like Brian Ortega and Yair Rodriguez can bring? Um, and then at, at some point, I think enough people just formed an opinion about MMA one way or another, but maybe also by the time you get on to ABC, people aren't watching network TV anymore. Yeah. There's fewer people who are just sitting around being like, what's on ABC tonight? It's either that or CBS or Fox or you know and that's kind of it. So maybe it's just a it doesn't feel like it means the same because it doesn't mean the same to be on, on ABC as it used to. But still, when you're able to throw some of these guys on out there and you just like this is sort of the the wealth of talent that you talked about that the UFC has to rely on where they it's not even like they're really pulling out all the stops to be like okay, here we go. We're going to Long Island. We're on ABC. We're going to make sure we give you one hell of a car. It's more just like, here's who we got who's ready to go, and they can produce some pretty good-ass fights.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing, right? Uh, we kind of thought if MMA gets to this point where being on network television is, is, a, is a given – We sort of thought that these would be bigger cards. They would be like star-studded affairs with championships up and down the the main card. And that's not really what you've gotten. What you've gotten are essentially fight night cards. And you're just going to put them on on network TV. Uh, Brian Ortega and Yair Rodriguez, though, is one that I will look forward to, despite the fact that both of these guys uh, have had some adversity most recently in their careers, uh, Brian Ortega has the loss to Alexander Volkanovsky at UFC 266. And previous to that, he defeated Chan Sung Jung, but also lost to Max Holloway back in December of 2018. So just one and two in his last three fights. year. Rodriguez, uh, who had the the protracted feud with Jeremy Stevens after their first fight ended in an accidental eye poke back in 2019. He defeated Jeremy Stevens in October of that year and then didn't fight again until November of 2021 when he also lost a unanimous decision to Max Holloway. And yeah, Rodriguez is really one of these guys where for a long time, you know, when he first showed up, we were like, Oh, this, this guy's got a lot of talent. He's an exciting fighter. He could be important uh, to leading the charge for the UFC into the Mexican market, which we know is something that they wanted to do, especially back at that time. Uh, And it hasn't played out really like we thought it would for Yair Rodriguez to the point where, you know, uh, maybe we thought he was going to depart the company or depart the sport. We didn't know how long he was going to be around. And some of those questions, I think, still kind of hang around in the ether around Yair Rodriguez. So if he were able to go out and get a win over Brian Ortega, like I feel like that would be pretty meaningful for him. Yeah. And honestly, don't you feel
0: like, uh, Alexander Volkanovsky's dominance in the third fight with Max Holloway made Brian Ortega's fight with him look a little better for Brian Ortega because he came damn close to finishing Alexander Volkanovsky, who has since looked like just one of the best pound-for-pound fighters, bar none, on the planet. Yeah. You know, and especially when you consider that Brian Ortega, he's sitting there with two losses in his MMA career. One was to Max Holloway, you know, like the second best featherweight in the world at this point and probably the best, you know, uh, like in his what 16th pro fight. That was Ortega in his 16th pro fight against Max Holloway, getting beat up like that. Uh, Then he comes back, seems to have reinvented himself by the time he fights the Korean Zombie, and then damn near finishes Alexander Volkanovsky. And so it's like you're kind of knocked down in the featherweight pecking order a little bit for the time being, but you also seem like you're really good and still getting better.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh Brian Ortega going off as the slight favorite here at minus 165 according to the DraftKings sports book. Yair Rodriguez plus 140. So just a slight edge to Brian Ortega there in terms of the odds. Uh like you said, I think this will be an exciting fight. I think that there's there's you hate to jinx it, but almost no chance that this one is not exciting. You got two guys out there that like to do the damn thing, so I think we're we're looking for uh, you know, an entertaining fight this weekend. You got women's strawweight bout Michelle Watterson and Amanda Lemos in the uh, the co-main. Li Jingliang and Muslim Salikov also on the card. Matt Schnell versus Sue Mudajeri probably nailed that one. Shane Burgos, Charles uh, Jordan, and Lauren Murphy versus Misha Tate, which was moved off the UFC 276 card. And now will be the curtain jerker for the main card of this UFC on ABC card anything I mean that's I mean that's a fight night card right there with the exception of maybe uh Lord Murphy and Misha Tate is there any of that stuff that that piques your interest at all
0: yeah I mean I I think at least when I look here and I'm trying to think of like what's the thing that keeps me watching right rather than just tuning in and and or somebody let me give me an alert when the main event comes through um uh, seeing Li Liang and Muslim Salikov like that one I feel like okay you're gonna get two hard-ass dudes going in there and trying to beat the hell out of each other in that one. Uh, I also, I just think Shane Burgos is just flat-out fun, so uh, that one I'm more or less interested in. Um, I, when I'm looking at it on paper, Michelle Waterson versus Amanda Lamos is is the co-main event.
1: Yes, well, according to the how it's listed on on Wikipedia, yes. Okay. I mean, I mean, they they could always scramble the bout order, right? And like, we don't necessarily know that this is how it's all going to go off, but usually that's, that's the case.
0: Uh, okay. I mean, I guess that's fine. I guess that's okay. I just, I don't know. That one, if you had to get up and make a sandwich, if you felt your blood sugar going down, I'm just saying, maybe that's the one. Wow. That's harsh. I mean, yeah, I, I like Michelle Waterson as a person. We've had this conversation before. I don't know how many times I need to see her kick the air uh, four feet in front of her opponent. You know? That's me, yeah. though. Man, That's you're me. Gonna
1: get, Michelle Waterson going to call up the co-main event podcast and be like, I could do your job. You know what? Michelle Waterson probably could. Yeah. She, she actually could. She would probably be a more affable co-host here, too. Just saying. Just saying. Wanna do just saying stuff? Sure.
0: As long as we are already
1: just saying stuff. All right. Uh Ben, what's your just saying stuff this week?
0: Well, Chad, John Jones, he if he's not gonna be in the cage, you know he's gonna be on Twitter. Yeah. You know yeah. that, man. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm he's talking some shit to Israel Adesanya when Israel had his last fight and it wasn't that exciting you know then Israel Adesanya fires back in the press conference uh, and then Francis Ngannou says since Jones has been sitting back and talking shit and Francis is so classy he's not even going to write out shit he's going to have the asterisk in there and place of the I Izzy have defended his title at least five times well done champ some people talk and some act which I mean hey you know he's got a little bit of a point there then John Jones is going to fire back. Look at Francis over there defending Elsa. How cute. I could take off two more years and you guys' work combined won't match what I've done in that octagon. Hashtag facts. Then when somebody asks, is he going to fight uh, Francis or Stipe? He he replies, at this point, I'm looking to fight Stepe. I think it proves a lot more. Fighting a fairly one-dimensional fighter fresh off a knee surgery. There he means Francis. I don't know. I believe beating Stipe says more at this point. So I'm just saying, whether it's with his extracurricular activities, his tendency to pop up in the news for all the wrong reasons, or this fairly transparent kind of stuff that he's trying to work on Twitter, nobody finds a way to give you reasons not to root for him, quite like John Jones. He may be out of the cage, inactive all this time. He's still got it, at least in that One arena. I'm just
1: saying. I think beating Stipe would mean more. You think beating Stipe Miocic would mean more than beating the UFC heavyweight champion? You see what he's doing. You see what he's doing. I see what he's doing. I see what he's doing. Uh, Ben, as you know, uh, Tommy Fury has fumbled the bag yet again. Oh, slippery fingers Fury. Can't keep his hands on the bag. (laughs) Won't let him in the country, allegedly because of his reputed ties to organized crime figures. And we, you know, I tweeted about this at the time when we first found out Tommy Fury wasn't going to make it in the country. I was like, you know, who I bet can make it in the country or may already be in the country? Anderson Silva. Bet he could mm-hmm. get there. Bet he could be ready for August the sixth or whenever they're doing this fight. No, nope, not doing that. Jake Paul is going to fight Hasim Rahman Jr. at this uh, at this match early in August. And and I don't know if we, are we setting this up just because there's the one video of them getting into it during sparring. There's like one Twitter video of them like having an argument after a sparring session or before a sparring session. Is that what we're doing? Are we trying to are we trying to cook this all up just because of that? Or is Jake Paul contractually obligated to fight the family member of a top heavyweight in early August? Because I guess I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, what's Jake Paul doing, man? I'm just saying, what, what, what's he doing? What's going on it, here? You're, you're the one who floated it that he's going to find out that fighting non-MMA people is less lucrative for him than fighting MMA people. I got to think Hasim Rahman Jr. is the least lucrative choice out of all these guys I just mentioned.
0: I'm just saying. It does seem like he has decided that for this next one, we got to do something to to poke a stick at the actual boxing people that we've you know we have trolled mma long enough we got to pivot a little bit and troll boxing somehow and if we can't get tyson fury's brother then we'll get hasim rockman's son and that that's what we got to do and i i don't i cannot believe that it's going to work as well just because I think boxing people are more likely to be like, we still don't give a shit about you, kid. <laughs> Whereas MMA people will be like, oh, you make us so mad. We'll buy your pay-per-view. You know, like, <laughs> I just I just think the troll job works on us better. But
1: I guess he is committed to finding out. Yeah. MMA people are going to get so mad they want to give you their money. <laughs> I mean, if it's me, I'm putting Hasim Rahman in big letters and then junior in really small (laughs) letters on the on the poster. Yeah, that's the way to go. All right. Just saying that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Of course, we'll be over at the Patreon page all week with the Wednesday live chat Thursdays doing the damn thing and the Friday power hour. We would also love it if you would check out the territories, some new fiction from both Ben folks and me. Over to Indiegogo. Search the territories, or find us on the socials. Get to the link that way. Uh, we would love it if you would pre-order that. The book comes out in August. As for right now, though, thanks for listening, everybody. We're done. We're through. We're out. Slippery fingers Fear He just can't keep his hands on the bag. Then every time they try to hand him the bag. It's... You know, it's
0: just, we've all been there where you think you have a great payday lined up and then, whoops, your connections to major organized crime figures come back to bite you
1: and you go, you know what, I really never thought that would be an issue. Yeah. What I like to do when that happens is take a, a selfie with the guy, put it on my Instagram, and so be like, this guy's the best, Been down since day one.
0: There's a real one. Yeah.
1: You know who I like? A really That's great chung, guy, really chung, chung, man. Man.